Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the 39th episode of Toaster Talk for the fans, by the fans, of the fans, discussing all things F1 on the Toast Network. And we've just got out of an exciting British Grand Prix, a lot more exciting considering the how the season has been so far and the fact that I have so many finalists on the show right up, all pumped up to talk about what happened over the weekend. Let's start off discussing already and then introduce our finalists as we go through the topics. First up, very odd in, compared to all the other Grand Prix we have seen so far. There were 22 cars instead of 20 cars. What is so special about that? Maybe we can start off with you, Vignesh. Welcome aboard. Thanks a lot. Now, why 22 cars is mainly because two cars are extra than the normal 10 teams. So we have one extra team. For those who are speculating that okay, a new team has joined Formula One mid-season, I am sorry if I doesn't allow this thing. So what ensures that okay, you have 22 drivers on the grid, and that is mainly because of a filming crew. Now everyone thought that okay, if I am being so strict with track penalties and other things will not allow this to happen. But when the fans entered the British GP stands, they were surprised to see two extra drivers. Their names on the pit grid, Brad Pitt, and I believe the second one, I forgot the name. Now, why they were doing it? Because they were shooting for a documentary film on for racing cars, and they felt that, okay, this would be a perfect setup, considering the film crew can act, at least have, a, how we say, the formation lab with the drivers, and with the camera mounted, and they'll get some footage, and also the footage of the GP. Considering it turns exciting, I believe the movie will become more exciting. So that's the mystery behind the 22 drivers. But yeah, no new team has joined Formula 1 for now. Makes sense. I think everyone's going to look forward to the movie. For, for now, it's titled Apex. And just so that everyone else knows, one of the executive producers is Lewis Hamilton. So a lot of Britness around the whole thing. And perfect place to do it, Silverstone. But moving about from the Hollywood glitz that you usually see outside the racetrack and this time on the racetrack, Naren, welcome aboard. And I just want, you know, for our viewers, if you could give a quick summary of the weekend. Thanks, Vivek, for having me on the show. Uh, the sun is really shining here because uh, Landon Norris has won the race. But um, overall, Not I would like the to... race, by the way. Don't shock people. Uh, on still... the podium. On the podium. But yeah. It's more or less like it's winning. Okay, number over. one is given, so that's why. Ah, yeah. yeah. So uh, thanks for chipping me, uh, chipping in. Probably we leave the number one, and considering that he has won the race, I would like to speak, split the race uh, into the positives of the race, uh, probably the negatives of the race. Uh, the most improved driver, the underperformer, the disappointing driver, uh, team, and the driver of this race. What were the positives of this race? Number one, obviously, it is. Evident that McLaren's updates have proved dividends. Oscar uh, Lando Norris on second, Oscar Piastri his best ever finish in fourth. So that is the biggest positive of the race. Number two is that um, Williams, even though they had bought upgrades, they were not as performant as they were during the practice. They did really well during the practice, and I was very impressed with how Land Albon performed. 
and apart from the usual hustle and bustle i also really loved how uh, botas even though he had not a great car he moved up 12 places from being 20th on the grid so these were some of the positives of the race what were some of the negatives of the race um, many people were complaining about mixed tire strategies even though the track temperatures were somewhere around 29 and 30 degrees celsius so some people were complaining that uh, the softer tires after the virtual safety car bought in a lot of draining but some people utilized the soft tires and number 2 is uh, ferrari's usual mix up with strategies and tires making them go five places from the qualifying phase in my perspective the most improved driver on the team obviously would be would go go to mclaren and in my opinion oscar piastri is the most improved driver of uh, this race the underperformer of this race obviously to albon and williams because they did not well perform really well as they should have performed and the disappointing team or the driver uh, obviously goes to ferrari and signs so this is a quick summary of how the race went thanks i mean i would say ferrari has been consistent with that disappointment so nothing new there <laughs> but uh, yeah mclaren papayas were all over and the fact that it was home ground for norris and we'll get also about the other homeboy who came third but Satya welcome aboard the show and what's this magic wand that McLaren's found well whatever the magic that they have cast they have cast the right one because a team that was struggling when if you look at the start of the season McLaren's was struggling and Zach Brown admitted to the to the press that yes we are we are lacking pace but to see this team which eventually actually has been suffering for quite few years do so well i mean norris overtook max and it was at least leading a couple of laps till the drs switched on once the drs switched on then you can't catch the red bulls that's that's we know that but at least he was able to lead the laps for some time and uh, uh, mclaren has not done that since 2012 last it was done by lewis hamilton so it it was amazing yes i am a mercedes fan but then it was amazing seeing a team with so much history being able to come to the front again and it was not just norris because if it was only norris we would we might assume that yeah he is a good driver he is doing no piastri was almost right there with him granted the safety car did not help him out much but piastri was right there with him and it it is amazing to see them coming back to the front and grand red bulls are far ahead but they are slowly creeping ahead and that is more dangerous to ferrari than any other team at the moment because they are ferrari is a team that we would be expecting to be there when they were somewhere in 9th and 10th you had two mclarens in the in second and fourth you had two mercedes in um in in third and fifth two teams that towards the start of the season were saying you know what uh mercedes with was with respect to their the car body while mclaren was just with respect to their overall aerodynamics and these two teams are improving so there is an overall improvement happening and it is great to see not sure what will happen to the red bulls because they are still far ahead but seeing the seeing the mclarens up there right in front 
could. And a lot of drivers would agree with you. Russell brought it up on the team radio. Hamilton brought it up on the podium conversation and even behind the scenes, uh, highlighting that he was so happy to see McLaren back up there. And even Max kept on talking about it and raving about it. So clearly, great upgrades, great drives, got everyone a lot more excited. And to your point, uh, if you exclude Red Bull, you know, it's made the second place again a lot more exciting. Start of the year, we saw Aston Martin up there. We assume Ferrari would stay stick around up there. But McLaren and Mercedes have come up and made it a lot more exciting. But while these guys fight it all out, there's someone who probably had the most interesting start to the race, but then made sure that things are back to normal programming. Sunny, what are, what's your take on, uh, you know, the Red Bull performance today for both our drivers? Yeah, thanks, Vivek. Well, as we have discussed many times in the podcast previously, whatever we throw at Max, he's always able to always able to overcome wet conditions, dry conditions, damp, intermediate, um, whether it's McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin, whoever's sharing the front row with Max, he's always um, coming out on top and winning all of these races. And he's well on his way now to becoming three-time world champion. And who knows what will happen beyond that. But I think the more interesting conversation is actually Checo Perez. Um, I, I think apart from Ferrari, probably the most disappointed driver today would actually be Sergio Perez and not the Ferrari drivers because they were actually very badly outdone by the uh, timing of the safety car, the virtual safety car, and, and in fact, the safety car. They couldn't really do much. The strategists, yes, they were on the wrong tire, but that ultimately was um, their, their race was heavily compromised more by the safety car than by the strategy. But what is uh, undeniable is Sergio was well off the pace this time. Uh, if we look back at qualifying, we assume that the, they got the strategy wrong. But did they really get the strategy wrong? We must not forget that Checo was 14th uh, at the time of the red flag in Q1. That's the first section of qualifying. Checo was on 14th, so he's very close to the bubble. So anybody had if anybody would have improved, they would have jumped Perez. And if you remember, at that time, there was rain that was imminent. The forecast was rain. So they had to send him out as early as possible, which is the reason why he was the first out of the line. And now Checo is saying, yeah, that's the reason why he did not get a good lap. But um, he put himself in that position by being 14th in the first place. And also, Albon, who was immediately behind him in that Q1 run, was able to get through, but Checo did it. Right. And Alban, ironically, Alban was the man that uh, Checo re replaced. So all things considered, I think Checo is under a lot of pressure. You can actually see it now in his driving. Max is way out in front. There's no challenging him. There's no stopping him. It's going to take a big effort for anybody, whether it's Mercedes with the upgrades, McLaren with the upgrades, whoever it is, it's going to take a, a, a monumental effort to beat him. But Checo, I think um, now... Now it's reached a stage where if the teams do close uh, do close that gap to Red Bull, there's a good chance Red Bull will be thinking about what do we need to do next with the second seat. Because you cannot have a situation wherein other teams are leapfrogging Max if the if the if the if the cars are closer, which could be which could happen sooner or later. Alex Albon, in fact, several months back said that the gap between his performance to Max is roughly the same as where Checo is to Max. And this was a few months back. And that gap has widened. Checo Perez's bottom line is under a lot of pressure. And I think a lot of questions are already being asked. Yeah, no, I think uh, clearly there is 
something really going wrong from his perspective and he really needs to figure that out uh, because even if you look at just pure points, Max is 100 points ahead of Checo. And uh, as Satya rightfully highlighted, Max is leading over Mercedes. Max alone is leading over Mercedes from a championship points perspective. And uh, you wouldn't expect that much gap between Max and Checo, specifically when you look at the car at play and how Red Bull is you know, way ahead of where everyone else is. At. But to everyone's point, with the upgrades, we're seeing everyone inching closer. Still a lot of distance to go. But the other exciting aspect of this race was one more Brit guy on the podium. You heard the roar that the audiences had saved for both their Brit champions on the podiums. Super Shetty, welcome aboard and let us know what are your thoughts on Mercedes' performance this weekend. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Vic. I felt Mercedes were a little bit lucky today, right? Uh, uh, yeah, although although they did decent, they were uh, really helped by the safety car. Otherwise, uh, otherwise it was just an ordinary, ordinary weekend for them. Uh, uh, I mean, as, as, at, at, at one point uh, when after the safety car came, I was really rooting for uh, Max to just overtake uh, London Norris. But then considering, I mean, London Norris being that underdog, being the nice guy whom everyone likes, right? Uh, I was also feeling sad for him that if he overtakes, I mean, this guy will miss out. But yeah, overall for Mercedes, it was just a, a very, very ordinary weekend. Of course, of course, helped uh, helped a bit by the safety car, and this will also, I guess, increase their chances of at least coming ending ending at the second place by by end end of the year, right? This will this this race will benefit benefit them a lot. And just for our viewers, the safety car came in because Hulkenberg had like a power unit failure and went up in flames, uh, and the timing was. Terrible. Magnuson. Magnuson. Sorry, Magnuson. Yeah. Magnuson. Uh, sorry, Haas. K Mag. Uh, and uh, the timing was perfect for the top three at that point, which is Verstappen, Norris, and Hamilton, who got a cheap uh, pit stop. While it obviously worked out terribly for Piastri, he did everything that he could, but this wasn't in his control, and that got him the swap out. But there was a lot of conversation and a lot of chatter around tires, whether we talk about Ferrari being on that wrong strategy. Uh, Lando brought it up a couple of times as McLaren went on with hards while everyone else around them was in softs. Wanted to hear everyone's opinion here on why did the tire strategy mean so much and how did it finally play out? And I don't know, Sunny, if you want to take the first take on this. Yeah, I was very surprised with McLaren's choice. So the, for all of our viewers who are um, new to F1 tire strategy, the softer the compound tire, the easier it will be for the tire to warm up because the rubber is a bit softer and therefore it's easier for the tire to be warm. And when the, tire, when the rubber is warmer, it's able to grip the road uh, easier and the car is able to drive faster. However, the downside of this is because the rubber is a bit softer, the tires will degrade uh, a bit faster. So it's a trade-off. Do you want to go for a softer tire where you get a more performance for a short time or do you go for a, a harder tire where you get more sustained performance but you're very slow 
uh, of the uh, in the initial phase. So that's your trade off that you have to think about. And I was very surprised to see how McLaren went for the hard tires, especially after seeing George Russell doing 30 plus laps on the soft tire at the beginning of the race with a full tank of fuel when they're in tire saving mode at the end of the race with lower uh, fuel tanks and they're on racing mode. They could have easily gone for the uh, softer tire, which even Lando pointed out. When you have only a, a hardly 15 to 20 laps left, you just saw your competitors doing longer stints on softer tires. The obvious thing to do would have been to uh, bolt on the softer tires and probably hold position. And that's the more attacking strategy. I have no idea why McLaren decided to go for the, uh, uh, the, the harder tires. And also Ferrari also picked the wrong the, the wrong tires. When they're able to see that Mercedes are, are going long on their softer tires, they should have uh, tried the same strategy, especially with Sainz, who pitted later. So I think um, both McLaren and Ferrari got the strategy a bit wrong this time. But in the end, it worked out for McLaren. Just it was able to hold off uh, Lewis Hamilton at the end. Ferrari, not so much because they were uh, impeded by the safety car. The timing is really bad for them. Yeah, as Norris said, right? Like, hey, at the end of it, P2, baby. And even yeah, on Street, it was his best but, performance. And he even called, he even was jokingly called his team amateurs or beginners, something like that. <laughs> and I mean, I, think, I guess, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's a completely valid point because, and there was a trade-off as well because Lewis Hamilton was on the softer tires, but he was attacking for so long that his tires started degrading much quicker. In fact, towards the last lap, if you look at the timings, Piastri was actually catching up to him very quickly. The I I wasn't sure if it was he was slowing down towards the end or not, but I was I was I was comparing the timings. It started from one point four, then it started reducing, and like then it became one point one, it became point nine. 0.7 and by the time they crossed the checker line it's 0.6 so yes mclaren it was baffling on why they went with the hearts but towards the end because lewis was attacking norris so much after the safety car restart that i'm sorry not sorry not safety car restart after the safety car went in that towards the end lewis was actually losing his tires so it is a trade-off on the thing that took, but Ferrari definitely got it wrong. Because yeah. if you see, Science was being overtaken. It was heartbreaking to see everyone just overtaking Science. The first yeah. uh, Leclerc Sainz was got over, it wrong. Leclerc Sainz was got, okay. Yeah, Science got it. Science yeah. guy got it really bad. Yeah, actually, in the last few corners, really tried to overtake, but wasn't able to. Yeah. Actually, I want to go back prior to the race to uh, obviously Logan Sargent had his best performance also, by the way. He was 11, just a place away from getting his first point. Uh, Williams had a decent weekend if you exclude the race where our expectations were higher based on how the earlier weekend had gone through. Vignesh Narayan, I sort of wanted to hear your thoughts on Williams' performance over the weekend. I, I can go first, Vignesh. Sure. Uh, firstly, uh, if you see, uh, there, there was a video that was uploaded on YouTube where they were telling about um, uh, Colin Smith. He was telling about what the upgrades were. Um, firstly, uh, if you see, Williams were performing very good on the straight, specifically saying they were 13 kph faster than Red Bulls on the straight. And uh, even in during this uh, practice sessions, the difference between Max 
in P1 and Albon in P3 was 0.5 seconds on the same tire strategy, same tire compound which was stopped. But Albon was running on a much heavier fuel load than Max. So this clearly shows that Alp, uh, the, the Williams have been putting up a lot of things to make sure that uh, the car is performing really well. But uh, yeah, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, that will play during the race, like uh, the driver's mindset, the strategies, how the entire race performs. And probably it's because of that, that they lost majorly on the race. Uh, some P3 in practice to P8. But if they perform consistently well, they will probably maintain the P5, P6 range, if not for the podiums. But uh, this is my overall take. They lack investment. They are getting the investment. They are improving. If they improve consistently in the same way, uh, you know, performing very well on the straights, they will at least be on P5 and P6 for the rest of the season consistently. Uh, was, was this also their eight 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 hundred threes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like yeah, my view on Williams would be like okay, a mixed one because see, you you see that Alex Albon has been consistently delivering with P eight in the kitty. So Williams have essentially outsmarted a few of the Alpha Romeo drivers and a few of. Uh, the Ferrari drivers. Now, this shows that, okay, they have been performing better than some of the high-end teams who, like Aston Martin, they perform better than Stroll, although that's not a fair comparison to put out. But yeah, it shows that, okay, they are performing way, way better than some of the higher-ups teams. Now, will you call this lucky considering Ferrari did what they do the best? Or do you say that, okay, it was an upgrade which worked well? Now, that is what I believe is one thing to be technically taken out. Now, the timing of the safety car also ensured that okay, Williams were a bit lagging here first. Secondly, coming to the previous point also, the reason why McLaren and Ferrari went for the hard tyres, as I understand by the interviews, is mainly because of the temperature. Now, for those who don't know what a temperature is around the track, there are two kinds of temperature which affect a tire wear. First is the track, track temperature and second is the atmospheric temperature. And based on the weather report, they found that okay, the temperature was going to affect the softs. And that's where you see that okay, a lot of drivers were going into a cruising mode. They were not able to attack that much. So that's the reason why I believe that okay, McLaren and Ferrari would have been like, okay, let's go for the longest spin. Even if Biodeck is there, we can take care of it and not lose the same points at the end of the race. That would have been an ideal mindset considering that okay, this is the first time they are in the higher end spots of the podiums and they don't want to risk losing it just based on entire cover. Uh, same, if you see Williams also, the driver's mindset. You see Logan, Sar Logan Sargent getting his best results. Alex Albon again delivering it. The drivers have a wonderful mentality. The only thing is that, okay, although how much ever they might pump up, they might get an upgrade. P1, P2, and P3, which is your practice ones, really don't matter because the race atmosphere is quite different from the practice ones. People are doing a different, uh, they have different race setups, different simulations which they do. 
So I do believe that okay, a practice sessions is not actually a good way to compare the running of the team. But yeah, I can give you a point of view where your team lies, but not exactly where it lies. In that way, I would say Williams had a good weekend this week. Yep. With that weekend wrap up, you know, F1 takes a breather till we get to Hungary. But they've also announced 24 race weekends for 2024. Satya, I wanted to get your thoughts on the upcoming calendar. Okay, I'm I don't entirely like the calendar. I'll be quite frank. Because first and foremost, they are now they're making changes or making changes into the traditional calendars that that are published first and foremost being that Bahrain and Saudi Arabia are on Saturdays the races are going to be on Saturdays to accommodate Ramadan now see I understand that for, uh, uh, Formula One is trying to be more inclusive and all of that but the, you for there are so many functions that happen through, throughout the year there are the but they don't seem to be accommodating for all the other festivals that go around. So why alone just for one fest one sort of festival alone? And so that that I understand it is Aramco that is the one owning it, but then it doesn't seem fair to every everything else as well. So that that was one thing that stood out. And I'm I'm worried that 24 might be oversaturating it. Because my personal belief is 21 races was the sweet spot. They are trying to push it till 25, which just makes it too many races throughout the year. And I I really don't know why they want to get it to that big a number. And finally, they okay, I understand that they're trying to regionalize. If you if you look at all the races that have been set up, they are most of the races are sort of like clustered in a way that they are all in the regions nearby, except Canada. We have a couple of European races happening. Then they jump to Canada, then they come back and then continue the European races. Which, when they're trying to regionalize everything, Canada, United States, Mexico, Bra Brazil, makes perfect sense over there. As compared to, you have, uh, uh, which was, yeah, so you have uh, Emilia Roman, uh, that is Imola, Monaco, Canada, Spain, Australia, United States, which that one planning alone, Again, didn't make sense. But apart from that, it was nice to see the calendar sort of regionalized. So in a way, they are trying to conserve fuel with respect to moving things around. So that one aspect was pretty good. 24, though, I just I feel it's a bit much. And China is back, by the way. At a point. Yeah. Yep, so, just to add on to Satya, F1 accommodated races also. Like, for example, in Monaco, you have, I think, so Wednesday, sorry, Thursday is your practice. They have one day off. From Friday is their, is their day off and then they come back at Saturday and Sunday. Specifically for Monaco, this has been a tradition followed since the uh, inception of Formula 1. So, getting that Saturday race uh, makes sense to me considering they were accommodating Monaco. Why not accommodate the Middle Eastern? And I think it's more about the timing, right? The race is happening in that window and the festivals at that time and they couldn't move it around. So probably there were a lot of other considerations there also. Sunny, one last thought from you before we look to wrap. Yeah. couple of last thoughts. Satya, uh, about the calendar, just wanted to add a point. So Canada has a special deal with the FIA that their races 
only going to be hosted in June because they have a number of festivals and a number of other occasions going on. So their deal is such that they can only host the race in June. So if they have to involve a lot of coming and uh, back and forth, up and down travel, then so be it because the deal is such. Secondly, with regards to travel itself, right? Now, if you remember, there was a time when they were doing back-to-back, especially during these uh, pandemic years, Austria. They did two races in Austria at the start of the season, Austria and Styria. They called it Austria-Styria. Now, even when they were doing back-to-back races, a lot of the times the teams and the drivers go back to the factory, which is mostly in the UK, because they have to analyze data. The drivers have to get into the simulator to do practice runs. And this was happening even when they were doing back-to-back races in the same country. So that is the reason why I think the um, the emphasis on the back and forth travel, I think is a little bit too much emphasis because anyhow the teams will travel back to the factory and the drivers also have to get to the simulator where the facilities are. They have to do it. Yep, no, thanks for yeah. those pointers. Uh, before we wrap up, yep, Super Shetty, last thoughts. Yeah, one, one last thing. I mean, does, does US really need three races? Not just there market. Are, there are, no, but and, and, is, and Las Vegas is also a Saturday race. And Las Vegas is also a Saturday race. Yeah, I understand. In terms of F one, it isn't it isn't a really big country, right? So does it does it really need three three races? Yeah, because let's tell you, know, Ryan Reynolds have invested in Apple. Uh, oh, like like Reynolds, what else do you need? 51% yeah. <laughs> oh. of question, stake in Alpine. Yeah. yeah the question is a... not, uh, not US having three races. It yeah. is having three group of races. You see, you go to US, come back to the European, again go to US, come back and again go to US. And this is one thing which I didn't like about the carbon offset because, okay, we have the three races together, pack them in a month, get over with the US race. No, no, no. So no it's that's sustained not how it marketing, works. right? If you do it in no. three in one shot, you're not getting that big bang for buck versus yeah. when you spread across the year, there's constant marketing happening around it. Hmm. That's right. That's uh, it's not good for viewership. It's not if you miss the race, let's say in Miami, then and and if you you have all the races at the same time, then you've missed the entire set. Right, so if uh, the Miami at the beginning of the year, um, Austin, Texas at the end of the year, that makes sense. So if you miss one, then you always have the other option. And secondly, with regards to carbon footprint, so a lot of these teams move their cargo on ships and on trucks, and they have multiple sets of ships and trucks. So when they're doing the races in in Europe, there'll already be a ship and a truck set of uh, duplicate parts and the duplicate uh, chassis and everything that is in the U.S., so they're not moving the entire set back and forth across the the, the ocean. So that, that's how the teams um, optimize their cost and reduce their carbon footprint. It's not one um, set of parts that's just, just flying everywhere. They have their bases in the US in, and in Europe, and they're working with that. Uh, no, no, the problem that, is thanks that a lot, everyone. Day. I will look to wrap up now. Yeah. And just to sure. remind our viewers, F1 is working towards a net zero 2030. And these are baby steps in that direction. With that, we'll also look to wrap up our episode today. Thanks a lot to all our panelists. Uh, after an exciting British Grand Prix, we take a small break and meet all of you once Hungarian, the Hungarian Grand Prix kicks in. Thanks all. Thanks a lot once again. Good night to everyone.